Welcome, welcome to Beatitudes Radio, where we are talking about the Christmas conversations around the nativity and the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 2 has an amazing story about angels and shepherds. And one of the reasons I like this story is because the songs that are affiliated with it. For example, Hark the Herald Angels Sings. Right? Are you going to sing? Uh, no, actually, I think uh, we flipped for it <laughs> and Charity won. Oh, that mm. means we all lost. <laughs> 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 all the audience, everyone has lost. Everyone's <laughs> lost on that one, right? Um, so you got Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You got the uh, angels from the realms of glory. You know, come and worship, come and worship, or worship Christ, uh, give thanks and sing. And then probably the one that I just love to to belt out when I'm singing on Christmas Eve and just hope that the person on the mic uh, that back in the tech area kills my mic is Angels We Have Heard on High. You know, that one, Angels We Have Heard on High, uh, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply echo back their joyous strains and then they say that yeah and all that stuff um yes we <laughs> we have all officially lost <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably one of my favorite songs i mean and just and especially if you have uh the brass ensemble in there because they're really loud and then you can sing even louder and if you got the organ and the organ's loud i mean it's just awesome to be able to and if, and if you're off key, no one can hear you. I can when I'm standing beside you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> However, what's happened is, even though I still enjoy those songs, those songs, I can't sing the same way. I almost have to disconnect my mind in order to sing them. Really? Yeah, because I, and I know more now than I did... You know, 20, 30 years ago. I, I know more now. Okay. And, and so... Why would you have to disconnect from that? Because... Or how were you 20 years ago with it? Probably about... I would say but it's more 30 years ago. I believe oh. the stories were true. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe it's true. None of it. No. I believe that there was a place called Bethlehem. I believe that there was a birth of a child mm-hmm. um, and by the name of Jesus and was named Jesus. Um, Mary was the mother. But as far as the angels and the, and the shepherds and all that stuff, I, I just... So you just go through the motions now and it means nothing? No, I still like to sing the song. Oh, good. But it can at times it can be... If I allow my mind to kick in, then it's like, how am I going to sing this song if, it's, if I know it's not true? And then I thought about, well, the, you know, the other song, Here Comes Santa Claus, Here Comes Santa Claus. And I know that's oh, not true. Oh, man, you can't do this. <laughs> You're destroying my entire... This is what I build my Christmases on. Here Comes Santa Claus or the angels well, and the shepherds? Well, that was a little earlier when I had younger kids, but... Now, my entire Christmas spirit comes from all of this. All of this. So, like, the pageant and the... Yeah. Well, I mean, let's look at the story. If you look at the story carefully, all of a sudden you realize that people... They can't decide where Jesus was born. Who can't? Well, 
there are some people that, I mean, if you read in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you have the idea that Jesus is from Nazareth. Yes. That's his birthplace. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And then there's that place where they quote and they say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. However, when you look at Matthew and Luke, mm -hmm. they have Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Correct. Well, then, but they don't refer to him of Jesus of Bethlehem. They refer to him of Jesus of Nazareth. And didn't Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem? And that seems to be the story. However, mm -hmm. I did find this, and it says there are historical hints of a consensus. I mean, I'm sorry. There are historical hints of a census ordered within a decade after the death of King Herod around 6 to 7 CE. The idea that an empire-wide census, however, was ever undertaken stretches credibility to the breaking point. So there was not a census, or there was? Well, there seems to be that there were these small censuses, but to have an empire-wide, a Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire, mm -hmm. very, not very likely. unlikely. If probably, not probable at all. Okay. And then the other one that you have is, if Jesus was born when Herod was king, he would have been 10 to 11 years old when this enrollment was ordered. <laughs> so it comes down to math. Well, it comes back to dating and how you're going to date these things. And then the one that I find phenomenal, I mean, just talking about math, here it goes again, right? Oh, if David had only 50 children. Okay. That doesn't even startle you? Only 50 children? Well, I'm thinking that he's had, he had many wives. He had concubines. He was a happening guy. 50 children. <laughs> what do you do on Christmas? <laughs> How do you, what do you do on birthdays? Well, he was the king, so I'm sure they had plenty of resources, right? Yeah, but how do you remember those? <laughs> Again, he has resources. He doesn't need to remember on his own. That's right. Yeah, Mel Brooks was right. It's good to be the king. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so if David had only 50 children, a rather mm -hmm. small number for a king with a large harem, his, and that would be a small number, his direct descendants in 48 generations would be well over a billion people. Wow. So suppose it was a fact, as Luke asserts, that all of David's direct heirs had to return to Bethlehem to be enrolled. And the author says, no wonder there was no room at the end. <laughs> <laughs> you got a billion people having to come to... The tiny little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, and then, Ch Charity, you were talking one time about this idea of... Uh, <laughs> about Mary and Mary making the journey with Joseph. So either like Mary was really in love with Joseph and maybe she was insecure about being left at home alone, but share a little bit about what you discovered about Mary in this trek to, to, well, to, uh, to Bethlehem. Well, one of my favorite things in an article here, it was uh, a Roman Catholic lay theologian Rosemary Ruther, who after reading this birth narrative in Luke, remarked, only a man who had never had a baby could have written this story. <laughs> and this is true. So I have birthed five children, 
uh, three of my own and two of surrogates. And there is you're no on your way to fifty. I'm on my way. <laughs> but we have we have closed that shop. <laughs> uh, um, that is done. Five 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 is good. Uh, but there is no way that even if the donkey story is true, which is unlikely, it's more likely yeah. that they would have walked. Yeah, because but there's not even a donkey mentioned in the story. Right. It just seems like a it's like a romanticized picture of you put Mary on this donkey and yeah, they and she's riding off. and she's riding side saddle. For 95 miles. It's just unrealistic, especially in those times. Like, you don't have... The 95 miles, it's like in the middle of the desert. There's nothing out there. There's no way that he would have risked putting his wife on that donkey or walking. Because there's not places to stay. There's not restaurants on the way. You don't stop at a hotel in Timbuktu, Texas halfway through <laughs> because you're safe there like there's no hospitals there's no midwives they would have had that set up at home for her to be able to give birth in a safe way so how many miles well, do you wait, think they could but this whole thing is supernatural anyway like the holy spirit came in incarnate so why would that be out of the realm of possibility so Did your the angels carry her to bethlehem I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Or did the holy or did the holy spirit keep her from going into labor? I mean, if you think about 95 miles on a good day, you can maybe make 8 to 10 miles with a 9-month pregnant woman. And they say if you want to like start labor, right. you go walking. And, or ride a like, donkey. That's right. I would imagine she wouldn't have made it the 95 miles. <laughs> no. And so I think that's the that's the challenge is when you have these songs and then we have these pageants and then but when you really read the story, all of a sudden you realize that the writer had a goal in mind by telling these stories. And it wasn't just to record facts. They were trying to make connections in telling who Jesus was and mm -hmm. how they understood Jesus. So you know, you mentioned the idea of this all being supernatural. Well, how do you, 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 you brought up Santa Claus. So you taught your kids about Santa Claus. I did. Why? It's fun. <laughs> I'm a hopeless romantic. This is how I'm telling you, this is the lens through which I've built all my Christmases. So you, you taught them about Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, how old are your children now? I have a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old. Okay. So am I in trouble if they're listening to this because they are going to hear that maybe there wasn't a Santa Claus? No. I, I told them. You told them? And how did they take it that there was no Santa Claus? They knew. How did they find out? They're friends. <laughs> and so w w was it, were they devastated? No. Did you get them counseling? No, and it actually became a fun thing for my eldest, um, Brian, because we did not tell my youngest. Right. So he got to play along with it, and he really got into that. So do you still leave milk and cookies out? Well, no. Well, you said you're hopelessly romantic, so you, that, that part of it you gave up? I'm waiting for the grandkids to do that again. And then you'll do that for them? Mm -hmm. So you have no problem telling basically lying to your children and someday lying to your grandchildren about <laughs> Santa Claus no. you have no problem with that whatsoever no well, um, 
Why not? Why wouldn't I? Well, eventually I'll tell them the truth. I <laughs> don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> eventually I will tell them the truth. So I'm not lying for their whole forever life about it. Just a white lie when they're a kid. And they're innocent. <laughs> and it's fun. So I'm telling you, you, you have to be able... There's a whole idea of faith. You can't see God, but you have a belief in it. So that kind of translates to Santa Claus. So did you teach your children about God? Yeah. And at what age did you tell them there was no God? I have not told them that. Oh. So you have to have faith to believe in God, and you have to have faith to believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> but at the age of certain point, you're going to tell them there is no Santa Claus, but yet yes. you're going to tell them, you'll never tell them there is no God. No. Would you be disappointed if your child came up to you and said, I don't believe in God? No. You'd be okay with that? Right. Okay. Charity, I, I, what about you? What, how did you... This idea of Santa Claus and these stories, like, I don't think there's anyone that really, an adult that I would say, that believes in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I always raised my kids that it was pretend. Okay. Santa Claus was pretend, but that we still could leave cookies and all of that because it was fun to pretend just like they pretended they were playing school and pretended they were playing house. We pretended to play Santa Claus and we had a lot of fun, but I never had that. They never had that moment where they realized that I'd been lying to them their whole life. <laughs> so, so what about these stories? Because our, I mean, think about, um, did your, did your kids grow up in church? Yeah. Did they participate in pageants? Mm, no. I mean, no. They, they weren't in, they were never no. Joseph, that, Mary. There was never an opportunity for us. Never opportunity. Um, your kids weren't good enough to become Joseph or angels. <gasps> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> your, your kids were on the B list. <laughs> Speaking of angels, we do have a question. Yes. Um, from Facebook. What proof do you have that the story of angels is not true? great question. Well, first of all, it seems to be that the word angel, and I, right now we're in the middle of remodeling our church and all of our offices. So all my books are literally packed away and I did not have my Greek Bible and the program I used to use on my computer, I didn't have access to. So I couldn't look for sure. But I, if I recall, the word there is not angel. It's a host. And in the Greek, the word is literally the word that is used for a Roman soldier. So the idea that there were, there was a host, there were literally a host of, of soldiers. This is a, an, um, a heavenly army that is in there. Second of all, in this story, they never sing. It never says the word that they sang. It said they said, but they never sang. And again, those other things that we we brought up, the idea of um, of these individuals that and the story and then how it's told and why when you take it literally, it doesn't fit in with the larger historical context. 
So I think to me, as far as how do you know if there's angels or not, again, that would go back to, fa to, to faith. I mean, if, if someone wants to believe in an angel, I, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong because that, like, like you were saying, that goes back to a faith idea. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that when we take these stories and we read them literally as a historical event, I think we're reading them in a way that they were never intended to be read. I think they were intended to be read as myths. For example, uh -huh. a myth is defined, the idea that myths deal with people's fundamental views of life and struggles to understand the world as told in story form. Another writer says, a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or person or explaining some natural or social phenomena and typically involving supernatural beings or events. So to have angels in this would tie in perfectly with the idea that this is a myth. Okay, so going with that, I'm, I'm t I read Spong. I'm, I'm rescuing the Bible from fundamentalism. <laughs> Love it. Okay. But don't touch, don't touch Christmas. Like, <laughs> don't touch Christmas. <laughs> like, for me, what you're suggesting is, are we going to recast the entire nativity story with 21st century language and thought? Like, let's just forget this, and then if you're going to forget that, let's forget the whole Bible. Well, again, that would kind of that whole idea of all or nothing. Oh, sorry, my leg just cramped on me. It's kind of like that whole all or <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> Yeah. Normally, if we were on a podcast, I could have gotten away with that. But now that we're actually videoing, it's like with my face. Ah! Um, I think it goes back to this whole idea, you know, do you throw the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're taught to believe all your life that the Bible, all these stories are literally true, then, yeah, I think you get into this all or nothing mentality. Right. It's like, well, if it's, that's not true, then this can't be true and that can't be true. So then how do we make this story relevant for us today? Well, what do you mean by relevant? Well, you've debunked it pretty much. So what is it for you? Like Are you can't sing the songs anymore the way you used oh, to. No, no. I oh, remember what I said, though. If I can disconnect my mind, mm -hmm. then I can still enjoy singing the song. Like, for example, here comes Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. I still enjoy singing that song, even though I don't believe in Santa Claus. And you, with your grandkids, what do you do with Santa? I do whatever my parent, what their parents <laughs> tell them to do. Well, if their parents, if their parents say there's a Santa Claus, there's a Santa Claus. If there's no Santa Claus, there's no Santa Claus. They're not my kids. Okay. They get to mess with their minds. That's not my job anymore. <laughs> Yeah, you don't mess with anybody's mind. No, I don't. I, no, no. <laughs> I have a hard enough time keeping up my own mind straight. <laughs> but I think that go, you, I think you're raising a good, good question is that if you're taught all of your life that these stories are historically true, yes. then all of a sudden you realize that they're not true, it can get to this all or nothing phase. But I think what we miss out on is there is great value in myths. And stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, They're I very powerful. I love watching The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, a good one. For, I remember flying as a, monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I the first time I saw that on TV, I was at a friend's house, 
And when the uh, the wizard took off in the balloon, and Dorothy's le- set, you know, left there all by herself, and she's crying, and yeah. I got up and ran home. Oh, I was so sad. L- Dorothy was never going to get home. I didn't even see how it ended. I was <laughs> I was terrible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and as a as a fifteen year old, that was pretty traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> But but I mean it's it's just the this and while I was watching the story it was just you got caught up in the story and I think that's one thing that mm-hmm. for those who choose to to read the Bible literally yeah mm-hmm. I think one of the things they're missing out on is the pleasure of just hearing these stories I mean literally yeah. just hearing the stories I remember you know Charles Dickens the Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm great story yeah a little scary but yeah yeah but (laughs) and then I read a book talking about how Charles Dickens and how there were religious themes in the Christmas Carol yeah throughout it it ruined it it did yes now I see these things that I never saw before it used to be they were just pure entertainment and now what happened for you as a kid with Santa Claus did your parents do the Santa Claus thing and then told you it wasn't true and then it ruined it? Either I don't remember because it was such a dramatic event or I don't remember it because it was no big deal. But I, I, I don't know. Oh. I really don't remember what happened on that one. So Santa, you have no memories of the Santa? No, we, no, we still, yeah. We still have, we have a Santa. It's just in storage right now. <laughs> Our story. We have Santa in storage. I'm so sorry. So, but I, I think that's the that's the thing, though. That I guess for me, the encouragement thing that I would offer people mm-hmm. for those who don't want to see this, who I, I shouldn't say don't want to, those who can no longer see the story as being historically true, accurate, and accurate. Mm-hmm. There is a different way of reading it that can bring just as much enjoyment and yeah. meaning in life. Yeah. And But I would first say enjoyment. I, I think there's, when it comes to storytelling, it, I think, Charity, did you ever read uh, your kids' children's, uh, their stories before they went to bed? Yeah. And then when you were done reading the story, did you say you know, like whatever section you were going to read, did you say, okay, now the meaning of the story is? Maybe sometimes. Maybe if I was reading a story because they had done a particular thing that day and I was being creative (laughs) and how to teach a lesson. (laughs) You're going to mess with their mind. I was strategic when I did stuff like that. But uh, no, for the most part, it was just to spend time together. Yeah. So why, why can't we do that when it comes to these stories in the Bible with our children? We can. But we don't. I mean, how many times do you hear children's stories in church? Kids come forward, and we tell them a story, either mm-hmm. from the Bible or others, and then we give them that this is the life lesson you have to learn from this. Rather than just simply saying, you know what, there is pleasure and there is enjoyment in having a culture and a tradition that we pass on from generation to generation 
and that's what unites us. That's what brings us together. Shared that, traditions. Yeah. Yeah. So you tell these stories. Well, I guess up into a certain age, that but we're meaning makers. So and kids are very inquisitive. But don't you think sometimes when we tell stories that this is I, I wish. If someone is out there listening to this live and you have the answer to this, please, please text us or message us the answer to this. But here's an idea that I have, and I have no idea if it's true or not. Mm -hmm. But when we tell stories, is it possible that they enter into our subconscious mm -hmm. and they form a part of our ego, a part of our self? And that stories have an impact upon us, even Our value systems. E yes, even when we don't think there's any meaning to them, they still can have an impact on us. Yes, very true. So it, 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 I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Do you know if it's true? I would imagine it is. Right, but I, that's why I need someone to text in or oh. We don't have a comment. This is actually me. Okay. Actually, let me double check. I've got a nope, no comment. So for me, it's telling stories is how we learn about other people and their experiences. Like being able to read this Christmas story, even from just a story standpoint, gives us an understanding a little bit of their culture and their time. Because for me, like I was raised in a certain way that, you know, being gay is a choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was making a bad choice. And... It was through the storytelling of my friends telling me stories of when they were small children begging God to not make them gay because they knew they were. It's these telling of stories and experiences, whether they're true in that case or just stories that are handed down and they get added on to and twisted. It, it still brings us a familiarity with things that we may not know. We've, I've never been to Jerusalem, you know, and certainly not in a time where there was not, you know, I wouldn't go in a, I'm thankful I live in the, in the time that I do, because I could not do this whole outdoors, no, no heat, no <laughs> AC, no shower thing. You couldn't make um, that 95 mile trek, nine months pregnant? No, no, I would be sitting on my pile of hay at home <laughs> with a blankie, <laughs> asking somebody to get me some water. But I think the, the stories connect us, even if they're not true. They bring a shared experience. And then they also, even if they're not teaching a lesson, they're teaching us from someone else's perspective. Mm. And I think it's really good to get someone else's perspective on a situation. And it helps us understand things outside of who we are. Right. And I think I would agree. And, and that's where telling these stories of the Bible in such a way that I, I mean just imagine if you told your children mm -hmm. that you're, these are stories that, are, that have been passed on for, for ages and then they were ev eventually written and then once they were written then they were continued to be told and, and read from generation to generation and if you could tell your child if you if you believe they weren't true 
but just told them the stories. Yeah, and if if you believe in them to be a myth, I read something yesterday, Northrop Fry, mm -hmm. literary criticism guy. He says that myth is more in line or relates to the prophetic rather than social experience. Mm, unpack that. So <laughs> if we look at this as <clears throat> a story about, if we look at it more as a myth, then prophetically it's telling us, well, this see, this ties into... Um, Salvation. <laughs> okay. So go on. Go on. No, I want to hear what you... Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in, in what you're seeing. Well, I'm thinking that um, it may not... I don't know. If you aren't of the mindset that you think about salvation through all this, it doesn't speak to everybody. <laughs> or, or it could speak in different ways to, to different people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's why the beauty of, of these holy writings, it's one thing if you, we believe that everyone has to read it the same. But if we can re uh, understand that there, there's different ways of seeing the Bible. And those who want to read it literally as a historical event, and they don't want to hear about you know the reasons why it's not a historical event then that's fine for them. And those that want to see it as myth mm -hmm. because of some very good reason to see it as myth, then that's good for them. And I could imagine then that on a Christmas Eve, once COVID has passed, yeah. that you could have these pageants and that somehow we could just realize that these stories are, are what unite us. They yeah. are, that's what we share in common yeah. with yeah, each yeah. other. That to me is is where the power comes in is of story. Is stories are to to link us together, and if we want to look at what was the original author uh, that wrote Luke, what he was trying to do with his story, and how the way he tells Luke chapter two is to remind you of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and and the whole temple event back there. I, I, those are there. You can find those, and they can be exciting. But at the same time, I guess what I'm trying to learn is that there are times when I can turn my intellect off and just being a part of a community and singing about angels in heaven and not thinking, well, that they were soldiers up there and just, or that isn't true. And just, you know, sometimes I go watch a movie and my wife, with my wife uh, pre-COVID, and I would say, well, that would never happen. And she would elbow me. That would never happen. Elbow me. <laughs> and it was like, what's the fun of going to a movie with Tony, right? He's right. <laughs> and I think that's where we have to, we can see the value of, of stories at so many different levels. And for somebody that's kind of on the margins, <clears throat> marginalized, disenfranchised Christians, when they hear this, they're kind of <laughs> like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, <coughs> yeah I, I agree. And so, th it, it, Charity, did you grow up um, in a conservative home? Yeah, oh, yes. So do you? what happened to you when all of a sudden you realized, like, there wasn't um, 
these a perhaps a literal event that took place around the the birth of Jesus you know there there weren't these supernatural phenomena that an angel you know, I mean angels in the sky or a a star in the sky or when when you saw that and then the idea of a you know universal worldwide flood and Jonah in the well what happened to you when those stories begin to be seen as not historically true well for me it was one of those things that I you know I've kind of already brought it up that me realizing that I was gay was kind of the the string in the sweater and and how that kind of started to topple everything that I had believed and been taught and then uh, the more I dug the more I because I'm a, a digger a thinker and an mm -hmm. analyst as well and it just started to kind of unravel everything and for me it wasn't just you know we didn't do just Sunday religion like we were embedded in it it was a whole world view and mm. all of a sudden my entire world view came crashing to the yeah. ground and that may be a little dramatic for me it kind of was step by step where it was like this isn't true well what about this right and then it led this down this path of like this yarn just and mm. now that whole worldview is in a pile on the floor. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't look like anything. And you don't have a blankie anymore. And I don't have a blankie anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it just, I mean, it was very, very difficult for me for a very long time. And now I've come to the point, because I always was like my, my strength, I guess, for lack of a better term, was in the fact that I knew. I know this. I know this to be true. And I know these as facts. And when all those facts came tumbling apart, it made me have to learn how to be okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. And that's brought a lot of peace in my life. That wow. it's, it's better to just like kind of play around with the idea and it's okay to not come to a conclusion. And being able to just explore things from without like an end game right. has allowed me to open up to so many more things because like I don't have a goal in mind I can just sit with it and and enjoy it or learn from it or take it to something else or reject it so you, you, what you're saying is this was not just a um, like a door slamming shut this was more like a slowly your analogy of just a slowly unraveling that took over time yeah, and I mean, there there were some things that were pretty dramatic and shut, you know, my family, you know, parts of my family, I, I can't credit my, I can't <laughs> dismiss my whole family, some of them have been great, but there are parts of my family that still don't speak with me. Right. And so this whole unraveling, like, even though it took a little while, it was very traumatic. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there was a, you know, it took me a long time to come back to a church, and then we tried to go to a church that we were told you're going to be allowed there. It's okay. And then they did even worse damage. Yeah. And, you know, so we had some really unfortunate experiences that still impact our whole family to this day. How about you, Janelle? Um, your background. Did you, <coughs> did you at one time believe these stories and things like that? Or do you still believe them? And how, if you still believe them, that's one thing. Uh, we can pursue that. So I'll ask you that question first. Mm -hmm. Do you still believe them as literally true, or do you see them more as a myth, or are you somewhere in between? 
I don't see them as literally true. Was there a time when you did? Um, no. I mean, there was just so many supernatural things about it that it didn't, it seemed more like a myth. And yet did you... Just like Jonah and the Whale or... Right. But did you still see the enjoyment in them? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and where did you find that enjoyment? Where, what, what was about it that... The tradition of it. Every the tradition year, of it, yeah. The family came together and we would celebrate it. And sitting in church with my mom and dad and singing all the songs and everything. It was just, yeah, shared experience. And I think that's where the challenge of religious trauma for some people is, is that if you're used to seeing something one particular way and then all of a sudden it's like mm -hmm. lights come on, it's like, whoa, I, and, and literally it's that effect of it's blinding. And yeah. it's like, now what, what do I, where do I go? I can't see anything. Right. And so the temptation is, is if it's not literally true, then throw it all out. Yeah. There's no purpose for church anymore. There's no reason to read the Bible anymore. I don't want to live in the uncomfortable and the unknown. And right. And if it's, and nope. it's, yep, I'm out. What I'm wondering is, is that those individuals that have experienced this kind of trauma, if they're missing out, I'm not saying all of them, but may, perhaps there are some that are missing out on that, what you just talked about, Janelle, the idea of being a part of a community Mm -hmm. that celebrates a tradition. Yeah, I can see that happening. I mean, I think about how churches, you know, there are some churches that still have Santa Claus show up at different events, and no one ever sits around going, oh, that's not true, that's not, it's just the fun <laughs> of it. And tune in on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. And I think that's why, to me, the one thing that when we do look at these nativity stories is to understand that the when we go back far enough that seems to be in the in the bible the first person that talks about jesus's birth is paul mm -hmm. and paul doesn't say anything about a virgin birth yeah. nothing right you go to mark mark just has jesus being born in nazareth that's it. He, not being born. He, he doesn't talk about his birth, but he refers to him being from Nazareth. Um, so y you do have these just different perspectives. And as these stories built, and then they caught on and, and went different directions. So we have a couple of comments. And I'm going to start with this one. It's actually the second one that came in, but it's more relevant right now. And the other one's a little more generally relevant. So we're going to start here. The stories we are told as children become part of our foundation. For some, it is easier to go along with the story and perpetuate the myth than to challenge our basic belief system and foundations. Mm. To do so might be scary because it could discredit our current interpretation and accumulated experience. The sky is blue, right? But what if it's not? And what else might not be true if the sky is not blue? Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> So read that middle part again. Uh, for some, it is easier to go along with the story and perpetuate the myth than to challenge our basic belief system and foundations. To do so might be scary yeah, yeah, because yeah. it could discredit our current interpretation and accumulated experience. Yes, and I, I would agree. And again, this is where 
I, I hear people say, you know, I'm spiritually but not religious. And, and I, I don't understand that for me personally. I don't get that. What I, what I hope those people aren't missing out on, though, is community. Because to challenge your beliefs is hard. It is scary. It is creates trauma. But if you have a community of support, you know, someone like yourself who says, you know, if you, if there's a young person who grew up being told that being, you know, LGBTQ is a sin and it's wrong, and then all of a sudden they realize like, whoa, that isn't true for me, to know that there's someone like yourself is there for them and can help them through that process, or someone who says, you know, I, I all of a sudden now I don't believe there's angels that were singing in, uh, in a, to the shepherds, they meet someone like Janelle, and Janelle says, well, okay, but now what? I think that's the value of community. You know, going back to what this person said is, it is scary. Right, the whole status of it is, it's Christian, it's, it's scripture. <laughs> but to understand that there's other people out there who have gone before us. I mean, I'm not the first one that came up with this. Right. I mean, I'm reading people that have written this stuff for, for hundreds of years. So what's the second one we got? So we have a comment from our resident artist. Ah. And I love that this is where she went on this. Also remember that within our modern culture, we have been influenced by artists' interpretations. Yes. From cave drawings to Renaissance paintings to sculptures of angels in churches and cemeteries. Their visual concept based on biblical stories passed down from generation to generation. Thus, each artistic interpretation of the nativity varies so greatly. Yes, yes, yes. And I'll give you a little teaser about Christmas Eve sermon. <laughs> I found a Mary, um, a, uh, I think they call it an icon um, of Mary. It's a, it's, a, it's a painting, a drawing. And so this, this, sun, uh, this third... Christmas Eve's Thursday, Thursday night. <laughs> um, the sermon is Mary's midwife. And there's a picture, and in the corner of this picture mm-hmm. is baby Jesus with mm-hmm. two women. Wow. And the idea being that one of them was a midwife. And there's a gospel of James that talks about Jesus's midwife. Okay, that's the teaser. You better stop. I better stop. But but <laughs> but I think this person is so dead on. They're they're right. That that art had a huge influence. Um, John Dominic Crossan did a whole thing on Easter, and how the resurrection appears in art. It's a fascinating book about how each of them, over time, interpreted what it meant for Jesus to come back from death. And it's not, it's, yeah, that's a great comment. Well, we have this article in The Guardian that I found. It says, it basically says that no one would say that the works of Shakespeare are worthless because they're fabrications. But it goes on to say, we know that we can find truth even in the abstract and the ethereal, in art, in poetry, in music, and in Mm -hmm. dance. They tell us something we know to be true about ourselves and our world. Yet, when it comes to religion, it's fashionable to sneer, mock, and to claim that mm. no truth can be found amid the make-believe. But in doing so, we impoverish ourselves. Yes. I, nice. And, you know, and again, I would argue for the point that, it, you know, and I guess maybe it's partly to keep us ministers employed. 
<laughs> is that you know we tell a story and we say even though it's not literally true these are the lessons we can learn from it mm -hmm. sometimes again I would go back to that point that maybe there's just value in telling the stories I mean yeah. think about the story of Esther Mm -hmm. And how Esther was is told within the Jewish community every year the story is told again and again It doesn't matter if it's true or not true. There's value that it creates within like you were talking about uniting the community and That's why I think there's so much power in still having churches even though it may be myths that we're we're looking at because I can look at Joe who sits across the way and sees it as being a literal historical event and then there's Mary on the other side, not the Virgin Mary, but the other Mary <laughs> sitting on the other side who believes that it's, you know, full myth and then, and then you've got uh, Wendy sitting in the middle and Wendy doesn't know what to believe, right? That's pretty accurate. So, <laughs> so literally, then you, what, what do we have? We have a community that can support each other and can be there for each other and, and uh, that goes back to that one comment <laughs> any other comments we got or, or can we wrap this thing up we can wrap it up so one of the things that we've been talking about is this is bringing to the end our Beatitudes radio on the the nativity celebrating the the birth stories that we find in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and then we will be continuing, the three of us, working with Between the Lines 1, 2, 3, mm -hmm. which is brought and sponsored by uh, Beatitudes Church. And we will be looking at some of our main stories and taking a closer look at them. So that will be in January. But then this spring, I was thinking we should take about a five, six-week period and do Beatitudes Radio again mm -hmm. and talk about something that we we hinted at here today which is religious trauma Ooh. talking about the I mean I think if we especially Cher uh, Charity and I and, and somewhat you also um, I think we understand religious trauma and I think that we know people that have that yeah and to, to let people know that they're not alone if they're transitioning from a particular way of of seeing God and seeing the Bible and seeing humanity that their belief system is yeah, changing and it's like you were <laughs> saying it's just like the thread keeps being pulled right to know you're not alone and, and to listen to how other people have gone through that I think that would be a great thing that we would it do would this be very spring. beneficial yeah. yeah so well I um I hope the two of you have a great Christmas you too I want to mention can I mention uh, what's coming up for us this week here at the church? Sure. We have four more live uh, streams for you to watch. On Monday, we are doing The Longest Night. Can you explain real quick what that is? Um, it's a unique service. It's centered around winter solstice. And it's for those that um, are kind of struggling with loss yes. this season. So they can't celebrate and be happy and joyful and sing alleluias. Um, it's more of a service for contemplation and comfort. Yeah, I think I, and it's one of my favorite services because this time of the year, 
there can be so many different emotions. You can have the right. joy, you can have the, the celebration, but yet there's the other emotions of, like you said, of loss. Someone who in some way or another is no longer a part of your life. Especially this year with COVID. With COVID and yeah. just not being around family. And I think what I like about this service is it allows us to acknowledge those emotions. And sometimes nice. by acknowledging them, yeah. they can tend to just be like, oh, I got acknowledged. And then they can just kind of be just okay with it. And yeah. And, yeah. And they can kind of soften down a little bit. Yeah. So that's at seven o'clock on Monday. And you can go to, um, for all these live streams, you can go to the website or to our YouTube channel. And then on Wednesday, we're doing our holiday sing-along boost. And we will have a special guest, someone that we talked about a little bit today. <laughs> Guess who that is? And the Virgin Mary. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, this will be at seven o'clock on Wednesday. <laughs> You're in so much trouble. <laughs> Guess I am. Hey, you got another Snicker bar for me? <laughs> And then on Thursday is our wonderful Christmas Eve service. <laughs> Ooh, no. <laughs> so at 5 o'clock, we have a live stream of our family service, and at 8 o'clock is our classic service. So please, And what's please. the difference between a family and a classic? Well, you tell me. I, I I'm not quite sure. I don't know. <laughs> you better know. <laughs> I guess you can watch both and find out. <laughs> Maybe I'll find out once I get there. It's like, okay, 5 o'clock, that was what that was. Okay, so my understanding is family means that there will be some message for the kids. Okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad it's you that works with them every day. It's two opportunities for you. That's what it comes down to. So if you're having Christmas dinner at a certain time and you can't make one service, we got another one for you. Yep. So yep. there you go. Yep. All right. Well, again, uh, I want to thank our tech workers, uh, Ryan and Andrea. Yeah, Mandy. definitely. Uh, w w the way we started out our first session versus where we are right now, big improvements and a big thank you to them and to Charity. Um, I, I, I just decided, should we be call you our producer? And then because earlier, then later, I mean, just recently you said you're a digger so i'm trying to think you know is a digger or producer but <laughs> thank you for everything you've done in chair and uh janelle Digger. thank you <laughs> and janelle thank you um for being a part of this of course so and again thank you for our, our listeners and our viewers and enjoy and please please especially um those of you in arizona we are um the proud we can claim number one but just it's not a good thing to claim but please stay safe, mask up, uh, do your social distancing, and enjoy life. Take care. Merry Christmas. Merry Bye. Christmas.